Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Now, for those of you who regularly listen to the show, you know it is very important to us to raise the bar of the common level of horsemanship. In doing so, we like to educate and expose our listeners to some of the greatest horsemen in the world and amazing educational opportunities. Now, Jonathan Field was featured in episode 17 of the 2018 season. Jonathan has two amazing clinics coming up in March in California. The first clinic, Course 1, will be March 9th through 11th, followed by Course 3, March 16th through the 18th. Now, Jonathan limits his clinics to only a handful of riders, so there's a great chance these courses will fill up quick. If you cannot get into the clinic, however, Jonathan offers a more than reasonable price of $25 a day for spectators and is doing a deal of $60 if you pay for all three days. Now, both clinics will be hosted at Marsh Creek Stables, located in Brentwood, California, at 24670 Marsh Creek Road. I can speak from firsthand experience in telling you that this is an incredible facility. There's both indoor and outdoor riding arenas that will be included in the clinic. Feel free to bring a chair, pad, or blanket for comfort while watching the clinic. Additionally, there will be coffee and food on site available for purchase. Now, Marsh Creek Stables is located only a few minutes from town, which gives you access to additional dining and hotels. All clinic days will start at about 8 a.m. and finish around 5 p.m. Now, remember, we're all on horse time, so they will dictate when it's time to turn it in for the night. For additional information on this amazing opportunity, I encourage you to visit jonathanfieldhorsemanship.net or email info at jonathanfield.net. I encourage you all to come out and enjoy this amazing opportunity to learn from Jonathan Field. We look forward to seeing you all there, and we're going to have a great time. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast. We have an incredible guest, Dr. Alicia Gornick of Solid in the Saddle. Now, in this episode, we sit down and kind of go through her story of life and how the horses influenced her and played a significant role in her success. But I think Dr. Gornick is an incredible combination of intelligence and experience. She's formally educated, earning her bachelor's degree from Montana State and moving on to earning her doctorate in physical therapy through the University of Montana. Now, balancing her formal education against her experience as a horsewoman, she has developed the program Solid in the Saddle. Solid in the Saddle is a combination of yoga, Pilates, neuromuscular re-education, and really focuses on the mobility of the rider. She offers slow-motion riding video analysis, travels around for clinics, and offers custom-tailored workouts. Now, I know for many of you listeners, you compete in timed events, events that come down to thousands of a second in separating, earning a check, and going home empty-handed. Now, I ask you this question. When the stakes are on the line, could you have ridden that much more balance for your horse? Could you have just a little bit more flexibility in an effort to better communicate or better support your horse through a run? Now, in this episode, Dr. Gornick goes into a lot more detail about what her program is about and the services that she offers. Additionally, Dr. Gornick has been kind enough to offer her online program, Find Your Seat, free to one lucky listener this week. Be sure to follow Let Freedom Reign podcast, social media, as well as Solid in the Saddle social media to enter that giveaway contest. For more information on Dr. Gornick's program, visit solidinthesaddle.com. Right now, you can go to the website and she offers tons of free content to start your workout programs today. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Alicia Gornick. Good morning, Alicia. How are you? Good morning, Jason. I'm good. How are you? 
Doing very well. Well, thank you very much for being a guest here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I'm very excited about your program and your episode. I think fitness is a huge element of horsemanship that is somewhat overlooked. It'll be nice to have somebody's perspective on what it takes to get people in shape and keep them healthy for riding and and maybe a resource for some of our listeners. Yeah, thank you. And thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. So I know Solid in the Saddle is a new endeavor for you. If you don't mind maybe explaining kind of how the last few weeks and months have been going. I know you've been very busy trying to put this program together. Yeah. So right now, riding is pretty slow in Montana. Um, we're having some really cold weather. And so haven't been doing much riding, haven't been doing many lessons with my clients right now, just because nobody wants to ride in this weather. So I, for the past couple of weeks, have been putting together an online course so that people can take the course online and uh, keep themselves in shape and ready to ride when that spring summer season comes. So I've been, you know, really delving into the research, delving into different techniques, strengthening all of that to to come up with a comprehensive program for people. No, it's great stuff. And as we get into the show and the latter parts of the show, we'll definitely go into what services are offered through Solid in the Saddle and how people can get a hold of you. But if you don't mind maybe introducing yourself to listeners a little bit about your background and your walk through life and how you came to this mission of of helping other riders through fitness. Yeah. So I grew up in Missoula, Montana, and I, from, you know, horses have been a part of my life from a really early age. I fell in love with my dad's hunting horses, and I don't really remember a time where I wasn't obsessed with horses. My parents thought I'd grow out of it, like most little girls, but I just turned 27 and I'm still just as horse race. <laughs> Old habits die hard, I guess, right? <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I'm from Missoula. Um, the horses that we had were a little bit out of town. So I, in, in a lot of ways, I think that was a blessing because it never let me take horses for granted. You know, I was always yeah. begging my mom to take me out to ride or begging my dad to take me out to ride. And, and I think that that has kept me from ever getting complacent with horses and always kept them just a passion in my life. That's a great perspective because a lot of people, I mean, you get into horses because of interest, right? And then maybe this interest or hobby or lifestyle becomes a profession. And when it becomes a profession, then there's all these other pressures and stresses associated with horses, you know, and it can burn people out and, and then kind of fall out of it or their, their love for it dies off. So it's, I think it's a great perspective, right? Having that constant gratitude and understanding what a blessing it is to, to even be associated with these animals. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, growing up, I, you know, I loved writing, I loved reading about them, uh, all of that. And, that kind of continued through my life. Um, these days, I still barrel race and continue to, you know, do everything that I can with my horses. And it's it's been a a journey that I've loved to have with these animals. Um, and it's been cool to have them always as just kind of like on the side for fun um, as far as, as a profession. So I'm actually a physical therapist. I went to school to be a physical therapist. I realized as I grew up that horses cost a bit of money and that I needed Absolutely. to find a, <laughs> yeah, needed to find a job that supported me or, you know, so my parents said, um, I had always been drawn to the healthcare field. And after observing some physical therapists, uh, I chose to go into college as pre PT instead of pre med. Um, that was, I was kind of waffling between those two. Mm-hmm. And I'm so, so excited that I chose physical therapy because it really allows me to 
you know, get one-on-one with people, connect with people, help them in a way that, that some other medical professions can't just because of time and, and, um, limited access. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about PT school. I mean, pretty, it's gotta be pretty intensive, right? Yeah. So first year of PT school is really tough. I tell, I tell PT students, that if they can make it through the first year, they are going to be golden. Um, think, <laughs> Just hold your breath and go. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I think we took like 28 credits or something the first semester. It was really tough. And it was just, you know, they have to cram all that, all of that in for the first year so that you're ready for your first clinical then that summer. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was just a, a whirlwind. Um, second year was a lot better. Second year is actually the year that I got the horse that I have right now. And, um, well, I got him the summer, the summer of my first year. And it was so great to have him throughout the rest of PT school. He was kind of like my source of stress relief and, and he was able to kind of help me through some, some tough tests and stressful exams and all that. Yeah. It kind of provides some of that life balance, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's incredible. So I know your journey through PT school somewhat transplanted you in Texas, correct? Yes. Why don't we talk a little bit about that experience? Okay. So I have, I've always been drawn to neurological rehab um, and specifically spinal cord injury. So throughout PT school, I kind of sought out experiences across the country uh, to get experience in spinal cord injury. And that actually led me first to Louisville, Kentucky um, at Frazier Rehab Institute. And they do a lot with uh, spinal cord injury research and kind of the the latest and greatest in spinal cord injury. And when I got done with that internship, I wasn't quite ready to come back to Montana and and just start working right away um, in in more of a rural setting. I really wanted to keep learning, keep getting experience, and be latest and greatest, if you will, of spinal mm-hmm. cord injury rehab because that's really important to me to be able to bring to Montana someday. What was your draw to spinal cord injuries? I mean, did you have a, a family member with an experience of an injury or is it one of those things that just, that's the path that you you drew to over the course of PT school? You know, so it's funny that you asked that because I actually have more draws to spinal cord injury than I can even count. I mean, God has just placed this calling in my life and it has shown up over and over and over. So yes, I do have a family member with a spinal cord injury. One of my best friends has a spinal cord injury. When I was in college, going to school in Bozeman, Montana, I did a volunteer trip and we took two vans down there. And one of the vans that, that I was not in, the, the other van wrecked on the way down there or on the way back. And one of the volunteers that I had become really good friends with over the past week had received a spinal cord injury. And so um, just all of these events in my life that happened, um, you know, and, at an age where I was really developing my interests, like in college and in PT school, mm-hmm. they just, mm-hmm. they, I just feel like they kind of funneled me down these awesome opportunities um, in spinal cord injury. Yeah, it's been a really fun journey. Yeah, it's incredible. And I, I, I think it's funny in looking back at life a little bit, you know, we all have these plans growing up when we were young, right? These hopes and these dreams. And then some of us go to school, some of us get right into the work field. But oftentimes, people end up in fields where they never necessarily really hoped or dreamed to be, yet Mm -hmm. they find a renewed vigor or passion for whatever their given field is. And 
oftentimes it is that, right? There's a challenge or difficult spot in their life and overcoming that draws them to help others who have been through it. So um, I just found it very interesting that that was your draw and, and it makes a lot more sense now understanding that spinal cord injuries have kind of been somewhat near and dear to you throughout your developmental years. Yep. So I, um, I started applying to different centers across the country that I knew were, were part of a network of hospitals that really had a focus on spinal cord injury research and using the top research based interventions to help find a cure for spinal cord injury. And I applied at Tier Memorial Herman. And it's so funny to think back at this time when I applied and when, when I got the interview, when I got the job, um, I had no idea that Houston was even a big city. I mean, I thought, I thought it was just, you know, Texas and <laughs> yeah, I was going to get yeah. to ride all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but it was going to be warm. And move to the big city. Exactly. I had no idea. And I went down there and, oh my gosh, talk about culture shock. It, someone coming from Missoula, Montana down to yeah. Houston, Texas. It was just a few more people. It was quite a change. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I ended up in Houston is just through that that spinal cord injury course. And, you know, it was one of those things that, that God puts in your life that just, it just doesn't go away. You know, even after I had gotten the job, I was kind of, after I learned that Houston was a, a big city, I kind of was trying to find another job and, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. looking for something closer. And none of those, none of those opportunities worked out. I was definitely supposed to be I down I was going to say, it sounds like you're supposed to stay put for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Awesome. Well, I know you had crossed paths with former podcast guest J.R. Vizane at one point when he was being treated at Tier Memorial mm -hmm. after his injury. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience with J.R. and kind of maybe lessons learned or interactions with him? So first of all, I just have to say that Shelby and J.R. are two of the most amazing people that I've ever met. I'm going to second that motion. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are just great. And, yes. um, through so and through. Yes, they really are. And while I was down in Texas, I didn't meet, I, I hardly met any people from Montana. And that was really tough for me to not be around um, people that, that had the same background as mm -hmm. I did. Mm -hmm. And so when I met Shelby and JR, I just, it was this immediate sense of comfort and relief and friendship. And Shelby's family was down there at the time. And it was just so fun to connect with them. I was so grateful to have someone, yeah. or a, a, an entire family down there from Montana. Yeah. And oh, I could I could tell you so many stories of funny things that happened to me when I was down in Houston. Just people not relating to any sort of Western way of life or horses or anything like that. So it was great to have Shelby and Jr. down there and just someone to connect with and have kind of some some familiar background with. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you what, when JR was on the show, I mean, I was absolutely in awe as he was going through his testimony, and he might be one of the strongest human beings that I've ever met, and just... Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, the passion and the care for everybody else, and, you know, how he talked about pumping up his tear peers and other other mm -hmm. patients of the facility. I mean, it just, it was, it was an incredible episode. I'm extremely grateful for his friendship, and, and it's exciting to watch his journey, I mean... That man is mm -hmm. on a mission, 100% oh on a mission. I've never seen a person work as hard as JR. Yeah. I mean, he took Tear by storm. It was the most amazing thing. People were just in awe of him, just yeah. how hard he yeah. worked, how involved he was with everything. And, and I know 
I got to see he and Shelby a couple uh, months ago or at the end of December. And I know that he's still doing that. He's still working so hard. Yeah. So it's really, really cool to see. No, it's a great, great experience. So let's talk a little bit about your personal life when you were in Houston. Uh, some challenges had come across your plate. And, and why don't you kind of share the story of how the horse, how actually you were literally with the horse when, when your life maybe took a turn and, and how the horse was, was there for you in your recovery and, and your walk through this difficult part. I, when I first moved down to Houston, um, like I said, it was a huge culture shock and I hate to admit it, but I was, I was kind of struggling. I had up until that point, I had loved everywhere that I had lived, everywhere that I, I had visited, everywhere that I had tried out. And I was just not getting along with the city life. My job was really great, but it was really stressful. And I was, you know, so far away from my family and friends. And just wasn't, I was just praying and praying for something. And God answered my pray- prayers with the introduction of Trina Taggart. I met her at a cowboy church, uh, I think in October, November, November of um, the year I moved down there. And so she, we just connected and started talking horses, of course. And she, turns out she was a fellow barrel racer, kind of a casual barrel racer like me. And she invited me to ride her horses and I went out there and rode with her. And it was just from there on, it was just awesome. Her and her husband kind of took me under their wing and I always had a horse to ride. Granted, they lived 45 minutes away from my apartment, but it was, I was gonna so, say it's probably well worth it though. Mm, oh my goodness. Yes. It was so nice to have that outlet to get out of the city, get back on a horse. And it was, it was really great. So I, after I kind of got back into horses, I was starting to adjust and starting to do a lot better down in Houston, had a lot of family come to visit. Um, and then in January, my grandma came and visited me and I was so excited because throughout my whole life, she's been kind of my comfort, my mother figure, cheerleader, and honestly, a huge reason why I had the confidence to up and move myself across the country. Yeah. Um, she just, she had instilled so much strength and confidence in my sisters and I, when we were little and, um, yeah, growing up, I, I used to spend my summers with her and my grandpa and I called it recharging my batteries. Like even in college, I'd make the hour yeah. drive for the weekends just to go. No, it's recharge a great my adage. Batteries. It's, it's so true. And it, it needs to be more of a priority, I think for people. Yeah. So, um, I was, I was so excited for her to come down and Houston was a big trip for her. She wasn't in the best of health. Um, and I don't think that looking back, I don't think she really had the energy to come, but and she knew how important it was to me. And my parents bought her a ticket anyway, and just for like, you're, you're going to go spend some time in the warm weather because, yeah. you know, we all know Butte, Montana is pretty, pretty cold in the winter. A little chilly. Yep. So she got to Houston and we had a great time, but by the end of it, she stayed for two weeks. I knew something was, was really wrong. I, I think that that moment that I knew I took her to NASA. She agreed to let me push her in a wheelchair around the exhibits. And as a PT, that was, you know, my natural recommendation. Like, yeah. you know, let's get you in a wheelchair and it's we can see all life. the exhibits. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But as a granddaughter, I was hit with the weight of this. You know, my, my hero, my grandma, she was too weak to stand and walk for an extended period of time. So that just, it kind of killed me. And she is, my granny is tough as nails and has the type of pride that 
only Irish that grew up in the depression in Butte, Montana yeah. can have. So I, I mean, that was kind of the point that I knew. I was like, something is, something's really up. So she went home and not long after that, I was out riding out at Trina's place and I got a call from my dad and I'm not exactly sure why I even answered it or heard the call. I don't know how I knew or anything. Cause usually I don't, I don't tend to answer um, phone calls when I'm riding because I just set my phone on a post or on a barrel or something because it falls out of my pocket anyways. Mm-hmm. I had my phone on me and I just answered the phone and I was like, is granny okay? And That's crazy. yeah. And he was like, well, why not really? Why don't you call me when you get home? Well, that wasn't going to happen. So you know, yeah, I jumped exactly. off and saddled my horse and and I got the news that my granny had a stage four lung cancer that had spread all over her body and she had less than a month to live. Oh no. Yeah. So that was, I mean, I was just devastated. It was, it was pretty tough. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the whirlwind that followed that is kind of blurry in my memory. Um, I don't even I don't remember if I went to work that week or if I didn't. I just know that I got home as soon as I could. I flew home and I will never forget the shock of seeing her that first time. And that was kind of like it crashed down as reality. Um, And at that point, I knew that I wasn't going to go back to work until she passed away. Even if I lost my job and gratefully, my work was so, so understanding um, about this this whole time. I would say that's incredible for them, too kind of step up to the plate, right? And take that pressure of your employment off of off of your plate, you know, and let you just focus on family and being home and and enjoying what you had left. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, you know, not very many people are as close with their grandparents as, as I am and my sisters are. And so I didn't honestly expect them to understand and they did. And it was just, I was so grateful for that. I'll always be grateful for that because that was kind of just a point where I was, I didn't care if I did lose my job. I was going to go yeah, <laughs> spend, yeah. spend the rest of her life with her. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and when I was in Montana, it's, it's funny how you fall into these roles that you never thought you'd be in. Um, my whole life, my grandma kind of took care of me. And while I was there, I traded her for her usual role as caregiver. And that was in some way, you know, that was a huge honor for me because she trusted me to do that for her, probably because I'm in the healthcare field yeah. and, and all of that. Might but have a little experience in it. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, that was just such a special time being able to kind of stay by her side for those seven days and share my favorite stories with her, let her know how much she meant to me. And so, like I said, I'm just so grateful that my work was understanding about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's tough, right? Especially being in, especially being in any kind of medical field or or emergency service field. You know, as as an employee, you're just trained to do your job, no matter what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And when those same exact experiences hit you personally, it's a lot more difficult to find that separation, right? You could mm-hmm. you could run through the same exact scenario in your professional life, and you're gonna, I guess, not necessarily have so much emotional investment in it, but it's uh-huh. funny how that stuff affects you and you're almost like your superhero cape, right? Gets stripped of you mm-hmm. and and it shows you the reality of it. And I think it's a huge learning lesson 
in in the realm of empathy for service care providers or or folks in emergency services or anything of that sort, right? Because when you when it hits you in your heart, it it kind of shows you a different way because as you go through your career, I mean, you have hundreds of thousands of patients, right? And you have hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of contacts in the field and you get, I can't say callous, right? But you do get kind of numb to, to going to the same calls over and over and over again, or treating the same type of patient over and over and over again, you know? So yeah, I think it's experiences like that, that kind of raise the bar professionally, right? So personally, you might've been broken down by the experience a little bit, but professionally, it allows you to provide a higher level of care and higher level of empathy to those involved in, in whatever professional circumstances you face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's such a great analogy that you, that you just said about stripping you of your superhero cape. And it's so funny because right now in Butte, I'm actually working as a travel physical therapist at a skilled nursing facility. So inside of a nursing home. Yeah. And I have used that so many times, that experience so many times when I have a patient that is just really not wanting to do physical therapy or they're in a lot of pain or they're, they're being difficult uh, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And I, I have literally said that to myself, you know, this is someone's grandma Correct. or if this were my grandma, I would want a PT to treat them as gently as possible. You know, just like that. I wouldn't have had that tie to it. Had had this experience not happened to me. Yeah. It's incredible how it just, it changes the tide. Right. And I think it, like so many guests on this show, the growth and the strength comes from those challenging times and comes from those difficulties. And no matter how prepared we think we are for life, it has a way of challenging us in a in a in a format that we necessarily were not prepared for. And mm-hmm. and the resilience of the human being is absolutely amazing. And and loss is relative, and challenge is relative, and adversity is relative to every individual's circumstance. So. It's hard to really place judgment on folks because you just don't know how a scenario is going to affect you. But finding mm-hmm. that humility and finding that willingness to thrive is is what raises the bar for everybody. At least that's what I have found in my experience in interviewing so many people on this show. Exactly. Yep. So I know for you, the horse played a huge role in kind of carrying you through your experience with your grandma. Can you kind of talk about how all this came to light, you know, you were physically with a horse when you received the bad news and then the horse kind of returned the favor and was with you in the the moments and months and, and year afterwards. Exactly. So you nailed it. I mean, horses, horses got me through that time. And, you know, when I got back to Houston, I was in such a depression and isolation, but I had never gone through any anything like that before. I'd never been in that significant of a grief before. So I didn't really understand what was happening. I didn't understand that I was slowly like pulling away from the things that I cared most about. You know, my my health, horses, exercise. I just I had a lot of shame, shame for leaving for Texas to pursue my own dreams instead of staying in Butte and kind of sticking around for my grandma. Um, shame for ignoring the signs that I saw in January that her health was failing. And I just I had these terrible, terrible feelings about kind of letting her fall, fall through the cracks. And that, you know, I was so close with her that I was the one that should have caught it. And, um, I just let those feelings just eat me when I was down there. And, you know, I, I kind of coped probably with, with that by, um, 
unhealthy means. Um, part of that was living in the city. You know, I know that I have always eaten pretty healthy, but I was just, I was eating so unhealthy. And, and that is so, it's so interesting to look back on that time in, in like what I thought would make me feel better. So I was kind of, I was coping with, with really poor eating habits. And, you know, I was probably drinking more than I should have, or that I, than I had. And it wasn't until I started riding again that I was able to kind of pull myself out of it. And, you know, Jason, I had told you before, I could tell you a hundred times, a hundred ways that God had his hand on me that spring. Yeah. Um, yeah. For example, there is, there is this time where my favorite pastor, the, the one that baptized me actually showed up as a guest speaker at my church in Texas. But honestly, the two most important wake up calls were getting back on a horse and this the crazy ring story that I'll get to in a second. But, you know, I started riding and at first it was just like a reminder that I had, that I had something that I liked, something that made me happy. Um, and something that for I you. loved to do. Something exactly. for you. Yep. You know, and I think, yeah. I think people in service care industries lose sight of themselves. I, I mean, I had almost identical experience to you. Uh, in my career at the point where I was just overwhelmed and burnt out and consumed by it, you know, you mm -hmm. have these, just this fog that you can't get out of. You, you know, it's not right. You know, it's not, you're not supposed to be there, but you can't necessarily mm -hmm. get yourself out of it. And, and same thing. I mean, I was eating carelessly. Uh, I've never been one to drink a lot and I was drinking more regularly than I probably should have. And, and now I almost use that as an indicator of, of, of life balance. When I start to eat more carelessly, you know, kind of fall off the wagon per se, I, I know I need to check myself and I need to get my priorities straight and not have pizza every single night and super burritos <laughs> exactly. and, you know, yep. take out yeah. every, every day. But, but life gets busy, right? There's things that need to be mm -hmm. done. And I'm a firm believer that, that, you know, you don't chase dreams, you catch them. And, and it takes hard work to do that. But sometimes we get so consumed in that hard work that we lose sight of ourselves because mm -hmm. people in the service industry are so ingrained in helping others that, I truly believe we lose sight of ourselves, really. Yeah, and you described it perfectly with with especially that fog fog example. That's yeah. kind of you know how I felt. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I. It's actually interesting to even go back a little bit further to see you know I so when I was taking care of my grandma, I actually went and rode my horse here in Montana twice, and I think I needed that emotional outlet to be strong for her. And keep my spirits up, my energy up while I was with her so that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't sad and all that. Yeah. yeah. And so it's interesting that, that I could use that while I was here. But then when I got back to Texas, it was tough for me to get back into riding and to, to give myself that emotional outlet to be strong for, for myself and to get back to being myself and all of that. Well, I think it goes back, and this is just me looking at it from a 30,000-foot view, and you correct me if any of this is wrong. You know, Montana is home. It's comfort for you, right? And and mm -hmm. you've developed a social circle, and you've developed a community there, and it's easy to be strong in, with those with the support structure that you had. You know, you move yourself down to Houston, you strip some of that community out of your life, right? And mm -hmm. it might have shown a little vulnerability or or might have shown a little weakness in you, right? And it just takes that much more out of you to try to get 
get where you need to be, you know, and it goes back to community and all this stuff, right? When we, when we support each other and help each other out, we can all be strong. And, and when some of that is removed, I mean, I think it's just human nature, right? You're somewhat out of your element and you're more mm-hmm. focused on emotional survival than, than thriving. Wow. Yeah, that is, that's exactly what was going on. <laughs> In my so, humble but, opinion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, luckily I, I did get the wake up call that I needed and I, I'm so grateful for this. It's, it's, I haven't actually shared this story with anybody other than my sister. Well, here um, we go. And turn the radio know, up, roll your windows up. <laughs> and, you know, I have been wanting to share it for a long time, but, and, and other people that were involved in this story, they have shared it and I just haven't felt like I've had the right platform yeah. until now. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this, but well, I'm, um, I'm honored that you think this is the right platform. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am really excited and, and you'll see why it, you know, horses are, <laughs> they, um, they played a big role in this. So, you know, as I started riding again, I was kind of resurfacing and, and doing a lot better, um, from a depression standpoint. And so I had started solid in the saddle in February of that year, but obviously it just kind of got wiped out by all the events of the spring. And so at that point I got started thinking about it again. I started thinking, you know, as I'm riding, I'm thinking, you know, how can I make myself a better rider? How can I get back into it? And, And started doing exercises on the horse and exercises in the gym and stuff. And and I realized that my current website, this is so funny that this is what started. I realized that my current website for Solid in the Saddle was terrible. I was listening <laughs> to podcasts at the time and, you know, they tell you, you, you should have a, a common theme and a common yeah. brand. Yeah. And I had like random pictures of random people and myself and ran just whatever pictures I could find that had horses in them were on my website. Yeah. And so, I love it. Yeah. So I, um, I knew I had to, if I was going to start this business and be serious about it, I had to fix my website. And one of my good friends down in Houston has a photography degree. So I asked her to come out and take some pictures for the website. And um, so she came out. She She's never, I don't even think she had ever touched a horse before, but she came out and she just loved it. She loved the whole environment, you know, the barn, the arena, the horses. And so, so she really enjoyed it. But uh, we get out there and get out in the arena. And as we're starting, I took, so I, I guess I didn't introduce this earlier, but when I, after my grandma had passed away, I was given her wedding band, her ring that she oh, wore every incredible. day. So, yeah. And I had up until that point, I, you know, had worn it all the time. And as we were starting to take pictures, I took the ring off and I, and I wanted to find the safest place to put it. I wasn't ready to not have it on me, like on my person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I thought about my pocket and I was like, Oh no, it'll probably work its way out. And so I stuck it in my boot. Now I'm pretty well known in my family and among my friends as being really forgetful. Um, <laughs> my friends in college called me Alicia, no keys instead oh, of Alicia keys. <laughs> because I was so bad about losing my car keys. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but the pictures ended up being really, really fun. It was, it was kind of my first time just getting the heck out of my head and I just rode and Rachel had me do some poses that she wanted me to do some exercises. And one of the, one of the ideas that she had was to stand on the horse I was riding and do some yoga poses. 
And, you know, I do, do a little bit of yoga. So I, I was like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's try it out. And so I stood up on him and I was kind of having a hard time balancing on one leg in cowboy boots, you know, on the saddle. Yeah. Make it a little so, difficult. Yeah. So I sat down, took my boots off and then got back up and oh, no. it was way easier. So, yeah. So I did those poses and we did some more barefoot poses. And honestly, I was just concentrating on not falling off, laughing when I did fall off and just overall totally distracted and yeah. having a good time yeah. until I got home and I realized I didn't have the ring. Yeah. How, I was going to say, how, how deep did your stomach drop at that point? Oh my gosh. I, I don't I even can't know if even you describe, describe it. it. Yeah. Yeah. This was something that, you know, it means more to me than anything yeah. in my life. I mean, it's not something you can buy. It's not something, you know, it's just, it was terrible. Yeah. So I called Trina um, and immediately I was like, don't drag your arena. I, I lost just, a ring out there. As you're describing, I'm thinking, geez, I hope nobody drove a tractor over that arena because that's going to make your life a whole lot worse. Yep. Well, she had. She, oh, no. By the time she got my text message, she had, um, she had a lesson the next day. So she drug the arena after I left. And so I just, I don't even think I slept. Yeah. Like an, a I would minute be sick that night. If I was in yeah. your shoes. Yep. And so that whole night and the next day, I'm trying to find as many metal detectors as I can in, you know, in Houston and Santa Fe where Trina lives. And so we ended up, we, we got a hold of two of them, two metal detectors. And so I get out there as soon as I can after work. We get the metal detectors running and Jason, I don't know. Have you have you ever used a metal detector? I have not. No. No. Okay. So I hadn't either at that point, point. and so I I had this vision in my head that I'm gonna you know be using this metal detector and it's just gonna go crazy when I'm over this ring and yeah, it's light up be like a Christmas really, tree. Exactly. <laughs> this really obvious indicator that we found the ring. <laughs> and so we start going, and the metal detectors just go off randomly at every little thing. And then you go through the sand and there's nothing there. And, oh no. Um, and so they're kind of going off randomly, picking up things. And then kind of the worst part, we realized that they miss a lot of things too. So Trina's daughter was out there looking with me and we took off her, you know, massive diamond wedding ring and wedding band or whatever. And we put it in the sand Yeah. and it picked it up when there was no sand over it. But as soon as we added a little bit of sand, I mean, I don't even think we covered it like a half an inch. The metal detector didn't pick it up. So we were directly hovering over the ring and the metal de detector didn't pick it up. Yeah, I was going to say, that is not comforting at all. No, at that point, I was just terrified. I was like, oh my gosh, this we might actually not be able to find this ring. And so you have to keep in mind that the wedding band that I'm looking for is this tiny, tiny little gold band. Yeah. So if you have to be on top of it to find, you know, a big, beautiful diamond <laughs> engagement ring that, um, I just thought there's no chance that this band will ever be found. So I just started praying and praying and praying and praying. And I told everybody, I was like, just pray for a miracle. <laughs> so we looked, I mean, we, well, we looked until it was too dark to look that night. No luck, no luck at all. Oh, and no. Yep. Same thing. I went back and I was just crushed. Went back, worked the next day, drove straight out to Trina's and her daughter wasn't out there and Trina had another lesson. So at this point, the arena has been drugged twice and she's had two lessons in it. 
So, and I'm just, yeah, who knows where that thing's at? Exactly. My, my hopes are just, just down in the dirt. Yeah. Like there's no, no pun intended. No way we're going to find this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I get out both metal detectors on both of my arms. Oh, I love and so, it. But I just, I know. <laughs> and I'm like not a very big person. So I'm sure it just looked ridiculous. Me waving both my arms around these huge metal detectors and just crying and not have no hope that this thing's going to get That, that had to be one heck of a sight to see. Yeah. I know. So luckily Trina's husband sees this, you know, sight to see and he looks over he was, I think he was mowing the lawn with the tractor or the mowing the field with the tractor. And he comes over. He's like, do you want some help? And I'm just crying, you know, and I'm like, yes, I would love some help. Yeah. And so he comes over and he grabs one of the metal detectors and his just starts going crazy. And, and I kind of figured out, I didn't know what he was doing differently than me as far as, you know, how he was swinging the metal detector to make it pick up so much. And so we finally figured out it was because he was wearing steel-toed boots and the metal detector was picking up every swing. That could be challenging. Yeah. So I just kind of start ignoring him and I just go to the other end of the arena. And because at this point we were searching the whole arena since it had been drugged a couple of times. It could be anywhere. um, Yeah, exactly. And so I just kind of leave because I, his was going off like crazy and I didn't, it was, I just, I don't know. (laughs) My hope was even even further lost, knowing that he had the metal detector uh, going off all the time. Yeah. And so probably a half hour goes by. I'm not sure. And I'm down at one end of the arena, and he's at the other end. And all of a sudden, I just hear him yell, I got it. And I looked over, and he's holding something up in his hand. And so I like, I start to go toward him, and he's like, no, I got it. Like, I got the ring. And I just start <laughs> running over there. And sure enough, he had it. And I just remember it. Like I just jumped into his arms and yeah. I was just so grateful. And I mean, this tiny, tiny, tiny gold band that was in an entire arena. Yeah. I mean, talk about a needle in a haystack. Yeah, it was been drug just, over, been ridden over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, the chances of finding that in that huge outdoor arena with without God's help were zero. There really wasn't any yeah, chance. Yeah. And um yeah, that was that was just like a huge sign for me. Um, you know, it's it's like in James one, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And my faith was so tested that whole spring, you know, throughout my grandma, throughout me being in Houston alone and all of that. But that was like the breaking point. I mean, that was the the biggest yeah, test of my faith. Devastating. And as you're yeah. describing it, it's funny that you read the scripture because in my mind, I'm thinking it's your persistence, right? Mm-hmm. You knew you were up against insurmountable odds. The chances of you ring, finding that ring were next to nothing, mm-hmm. you know, but you never gave up. You you stayed the course and you stayed on your mission. And and I mean, it's a, it's a huge analogy in life, but it, it's just that you keep your head down and you work hard and you have faith and, and mm-hmm. good things come out of it. And, and oftentimes it's on God's time and not our own, which can, could pose its own challenges, but it, it's, it's exactly a, yeah, a direct testament, you know, persistence and, and success. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, um, and that, it was honestly just the turning point that got solid in the saddle off the ground. 
back off the ground. You know, it connected me yeah. back to my faith. It got me back to helping people. And it was just this moment of, okay, you know, I might, I might have felt that shame earlier for, for leaving Houston or leaving Montana for Houston and all of this stuff, but maybe there's something greater out there. You know, maybe I'm, I am supposed to be here for, for something. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's, it's, I think it's incredible. First of all, I'm kind of going back over your story. I mean, you got to look at your, you got to look at all the fault and blame that you placed on yourself and, and think it is kind of somewhat silly. I mean, those are, those are odds that and circumstances that you have zero control over. But I mean, I've personally been there, right? You're going through a trying time and, and you place a lot of ownership on it, but you Mm -hmm. place a level of ownership that's almost to a fault and, and it's devastating, you know, and those feelings are real when you're going through it. And then when you have your success and your growth and you look back, you realize kind of how out of whack things are. But I think it's Mm -hmm. incredible. In my life, I have found found things to be so much more rewarding when I dedicate my skill set to to something greater than myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I contribute a lot of my success early on to being selfish and and it was exactly that. I was into life for me. You know, I wanted to be educated. I wanted to be a great athlete. I wanted to do well. I wanted to be the first at everything that I did. Mm-hmm. Yet it's been the last, well, maybe five, seven years for me that I realize what God has given me, I can use that same exact tenacity for the purposes of helping other people. And Mm -hmm. all of that success is going to live on far greater than any personal success that I had in the earlier chapters of my life, you know, and and that's where the value comes in it. You know, you've been given a skill set and throughout your testimony, you have shared that, right? How God has placed you in positions. God has given you signs and things that you wanted didn't work out. And you stayed in Mm -hmm. places that were uncomfortable for you. And I think it's incredible that you have formulated such an opinion and approach at an early age that that you are the chapter in a bigger book, right? You are the page in a larger volume. And there is so much more good that comes out of your hard work and your success other than your personal success and growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I I think it's so cool that the one that you have had that experience too of kind of coming around from living living life for yourself um and then obviously starting this podcast you are sharing sharing your testimony and other people's testimonies with an unlimited number of people and yeah. exponentially you know that number will keep growing as more people listen to the podcast and share it share it with others and that's that's just so cool and that's what it was i mean i had I had gone through some struggles and the horse had helped me through a lot of it. And then, you know, you start to have that feeling of joy and and realizing, hey, I can do this. You know, I can get out of this funk. I can I can help myself, right? And and in feeling all that that happiness and, and the tide kind of turning for me, I just got to thinking like I have to share this with other people. Cause there's gotta be mm-hmm. people out there with the same experience, right? It might not be the same exact experience but the feelings are the same, right? The emotional influences or the external influences are probably different, you know, because we're all unique in our own right. But but if I can do it, anybody can do it because I am nothing special in no way, shape or form. And it was just a chance conversation with a family member of mine. 
and talking about how, like, how do we bring exposure to this, right? Do we write books? Mm -hmm. Do we reach out to magazines? I mean, do we start the YouTube and the social media route? And he just threw it out there, man, why don't you start a podcast? I'm thinking, dude, I have no business being in the <laughs> podcast industry, none whatsoever, right? Uh, no dreams of radio or TV or any of that stuff. And uh, uh -huh. we took a chance on it. You know, I reached out to a, a, a lot of my mentors in the horse world saying, hey, you know, if we had this platform and this was a premise, do you think it would take? And and they said, absolutely. And and here's the the humility and the lack of self-confidence. And a lot of that is that I thought, well, yeah, obviously my friends are going to say it's going to do well because they're my friends, right? Mm -hmm. They're, they're going to tell me it's going to be right. But but what I want is the honest approach and the honest opinions. So we took a chance on it and it's been absolutely incredible the the reach that the show has had in such a brief window of time. I mean, I get messages literally from all over the world about oh my goodness. Yeah, about about people and how it's affected their lives and and to think when this show started I said, "Man, if somebody would listen to this show other than my mom and my best friend, <laughs> like <laughs> this show would be a success, you know, and it's just uh -huh. it's created great leverage, it's creating great momentum. We're starting to build the network and and just show people that, you know, we all hurt and we all struggle and we all fall on our face. Nobody is immune mm -hmm. to it. But if we believe in ourselves and we have faith and we lean on that support structure, what we can achieve is just insurmountable. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, there's I think there's something so unique about your podcast in that you are you are very open and vulnerable with with your own story and yeah. you you also allow your readers to do the same um and that is just that's what people grab onto and connect with i listen to so many podcasts i'm like a podcast junkie and i have listened to some of yours that i'll be in a in a drive like driving say from you know an out an hour and a half drive and i'll start one of your podcasts a half hour in and I've come inside and finished it and listened to it after the drive is over. That's awesome. And, you know, JR, JR's episode was one of those. Um, yeah. That was kind of how I found out about your podcast. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it really grabs people when, when they can relate to your story on an emotional level. And that's the thing too. And looking back, you talk about, you know, God putting you in the right place. I think about all my experiences in the horse world or the horse profession there is nothing earthly that explains the opportunities that I've been given. Nothing, right? I mm -hmm. don't make tons of money. I'm not a celebrity. I don't have this huge popular circle of, of friends. But I get guys like Chuck Swisher on the show and Trey Johnson, right? And even even episode number one, Jeremy Sveetser and J.R. Vizane. I mean, these are guys mm -hmm. from literally all different walks of life. I mean, they've defended our country. They defend cowboys and, and the bull riders and and they're extremely influential preachers and and to have those opportunities so early on i think jr was like episode 12 so i was literally really? yeah i literally was probably 10 weeks into it cuz i had launched three episodes that first week or weekend um mm -hmm. so to get a man of that caliber to get a human being of that caliber was just absolutely incredible and and I oftentimes when people reach out and say they want to be a guest, you know, we go through and kind of screen everybody's testimony to make sure that there's value in it. And and I've gotten some incredible offers uh, to be kind, where people have these just outrageous stories that wouldn't even come close to being on the show. But mm -hmm. but in part of our mission is to show people that 
you don't have to be a celebrity, right? You don't have to be mm-hmm. a household name. You don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to be a psychologist. There are people that that pound the pavement and work tirelessly day in and day out that nobody will ever even hear of in their lifetime. But that doesn't negate the value of their experiences in helping others, right? There's Everybody's got a story <laughs> to tell and everybody can learn from somebody. Exactly, exactly. So I've definitely enjoyed our time together and, and I think you do have an incredible story. And I do want to spend a little time and focus on what Solid in the Saddle has to offer because... It's exciting times in the horse industry. I think we are looking at athletic performance, not only for the animal, but for the rider as well in a different perspective. Me being a former athlete, I mean, your physical well-being was your profession, right? I mean, you had people that that fed you the right foods and stretched you the right ways and focused your workouts. And when you had an injury, that injury and the recovery of that injury became your focus. Mm-hmm. I think we oftentimes, we in the horse community oftentimes overlook our physical fitness and ability to move and perform as a, as an effective rider. And I think Solid in the Saddle provides a huge service and plugs a huge gap within the industry. So let's talk about how it came to be and we'll talk about what it has to offer people. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I completely agree with you. I think people, uh, they don't put enough effort emphasis on how they are influencing their horse. And honestly, I didn't either growing up. I, I had no idea, um, you know, how my body was influencing my horse and how the way that I rode, how the way that I sat, what my balance was, all of that. I just rode because I loved it. And I think when you start to get into a competitive sport, just like you said, you do, you put a lot of focus on your nutrition and, and your, exercise routine. And we do that for our horses. You know, I, I spend so much time on my horses, um, his physical fitness. And, you know, when I'm competing on him, he's got a pretty strict diet as far as what supplements I'm giving him and that kind of stuff. And we put so much time and effort into making our horses perform better, but we don't place enough emphasis on how we can ride better and you're absolutely correct. Feel better as riders. And, um, so I started kind of realizing this probably three or four years ago, um, at this point and started using exercise on my own to strengthen myself as a rider. I saw huge gains from it. I went, you know, my confidence increased a ton and I had never felt kind of stickier in the saddle, if you will, if you will. And it was great. I was riding for Judy Millimackie at the time. And I was, I was training for a 10 K kind of totally unrelated to two things that were totally unrelated, but I was riding with Judy a lot. And I found myself really aware of the fact that I was getting on horses that I probably never would have gotten on before In what you know, two and three and four year olds, okay. young horses. Well, just yep. Young horses that were, um, that were very well broke, but a lot higher caliber probably than yeah. I had, than I had been on. I hear you. And so I, I probably would have just been way too intimidated to, to get on them. Um, and you know, with any young horse, there's, there's a lot of balance issues with them as they learn to get their feet underneath them and everything. And Judy does an incredible job of making her horses really aware of their feet from an early age. So she does drills like on the side of a hill. She has, um, she has, a little bit of arena dirt in the side of a hill that she does drills on so that they learn to kind of keep themselves underneath themselves. And 
so as I was learning to help the horses balance better, I was aware that my balance was getting better. And through running and working out and all of that, I was just, I was honestly a much better rider than Mm -hmm. I had ever been. Mm -hmm. And I was aware of that. So I kind of got the idea of solid and saddle with the help of my friend Calvin. Um, and then when I was at tier, I actually got the opportunity to work with a man who had a brain injury and he was not allowed to ride horses or anything like that for almost a year. And so I worked with him for like six months and that was our goal the whole time was just getting him back on a horse, strengthening him up, improving his balance, improving his core control, you know, improving all of these things that you need on to ride well and to ride safely. But we couldn't use a horse, obviously, because he wasn't, um, one, he wasn't confident enough, but two, that's after you've had a brain injury, it's pretty dangerous yeah, to it's a kind of play recovery. with. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, we worked and worked and worked and worked and, oh, he tells this story so much better than I can, but apparently I had told him, you know, you're going to be on a horse by the end of March. And so sure enough, the last day in March, his wife sent me a picture of him on his horse, back on his horse, almost a year after his injury. And what an incredible moment. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. And, you know, since then, and, and even throughout that process, I've been really close with, with their family. And, um, I actually got a chance to go ride with him and just, just seeing him, watching him ride and, um, how confident he was. He was like loping around and stuff when I went and rode with him. He, he was so fearful of getting back on a horse because of his balance and, and all of this, uh, all of these obstacles that he, that he was able to address from the ground mm-hmm. instead of on a mm-hmm. horse. And so that was kind of what spurred it on. That's what, that's how I got it started it last February, um, was just working with him and seeing what a huge change strengthening and all of this, all of these balance exercises, all of that had on his riding. That was, yeah. that was enough to, yeah. I was like, okay, other people can benefit from this and I could really help change some people's lives and their relationships with their horses. Yeah. As far as, you know, when you don't have confidence, you're not a good leader on your horse and, things kind of unravel when your confidence and stability isn't there. Yeah. And I think there's so many contributing factors to that confidence and that aura that you project in the horse. And I think one side that that we're short on and and me included is that, right? Your balance, your core strength, your flexibility, your ability Mm -hmm. to get in the positions that you need to get to to drive your horse into doing certain things. And, And when some of those smaller contributing factors start to fall apart. Well, there goes your confidence and there goes your projection and, and mm-hmm. good luck having good rides at that point, right? Exactly. You know, exactly. It's, it's not that your riding is going to be terrible, but it could just be that much better with, with some small changes and, and interjections in your life. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Solid in the Saddle is. It's, it's dedicated to just helping horseback riders maximize their riding potential through, the, through those targeted strengthening techniques body work to release tight muscles so that you can sit well on a horse and correction of improper movement patterns, which we, you know, that's something that I identify all day, all day, every day as a physical therapist. And just, I'm able to apply it to horseback riding yeah. through this program. It's awesome. So where can people find Solid in the Saddle? I know you have a presence on social media and it sounds like we got a revamped website with a little bit better theme than before. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, yeah. So you... You can find Solid and Saddle at www.solidandsaddle.com. We are also on Instagram and Facebook. 
And then here in Montana, I offer one-on-one evaluations with slow motion video analysis of riding, uh, body work and massage. And then, so this is something that I've been offering to, to all of my riders. Um, but as I get more clients built up, this will probably just be a, be a customer only thing, but, um, exercise programs, custom exercise programs designed to help you reach your riding goals. So actually taking what your riding goals are and breaking down what we can, what we can improve with, with exercise. Yeah. yeah. So. No, I um, think you're, I think you're in the early stages of something, something tremendous. I mean, we do need to take a step back and put a little focus on ourselves and and the great part about it is that a lot of this can done, be done electronically, right? So you don't need to physically be there in person. Obviously, you're going to mm-hmm. fall short in some of the bodywork components par- parts of it, but you have the ability to develop programs. It just takes a little little sharing of videos and things of that sort, and, and you can get people back on the right track, you know? And mm-hmm. I know we had mentioned earlier through conversation that you are trying to put together some workshops. So I would like to challenge some of our guests and listeners. If you have a facility out there, and after listening to Alicia's testimony, you would like to invite her out and host one of these workshops, let's try to work together. You know, you can reach out to us here at the show, reach out to Alicia directly and and start getting some things lined up and and have her out at your facility and see what changes could be made through her programs. Wow. Thank you, Jason. That that would be just really exciting to get some more workshops lined up through this podcast. Yeah, no, it's I think it's incredible stuff. I think you offer a a tremendous service to people. I think you're going to have a lot of success here coming up shortly and I just hope you're ready for the ride. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, in closing, would you would you have any life lessons or or any messages that you would like to convey to people, whether it be from a PT standpoint or just faith or or your experience in in walking your journey throughout life? Yeah, so you know, I I shared earlier that I I was kind of aware that I needed to have a real job to support my horse habit. And that um, stinks. But, yeah, but one thing I just I want to encourage readers is to always keep what your heart beats the most, you know, as your priority. Whether that or or maybe not even a priority, but always keep it around. Yeah. So don't just let yourself fall into the day to day nine to five job where you're living for the weekends and all of that. I encourage every listener on here to really think about what their passion is and how they could maybe work, work it into their life every day. Um, I, I think side hustles are a great way to great way to bring your passion back into your life. If you have a good idea that has something to do with horses and, and you can kind of make that into an income, then you're not relying on it. So it doesn't have any, any stress for you. It's just something fun that you can work on because you have your your regular full-time job. You know, I think that that's, that was definitely the direction that I took. I knew that I wanted horses to be more involved in my life, but I didn't, I don't want it to ever become work. I always want horses to be fun and, and positive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alicia, we thank you very, very much for your time here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We're definitely excited to see the direction of Solid in the Saddle and its growth over the next coming months and years. And we, uh, we are very grateful for your time and your testimony and, and your willingness to help others. Thank you. And thank you so much for having, having me on this podcast. I'm really excited to have talked with you and just to be able to, 
share um, kind of my story with with your listeners. Oh, absolutely. Maybe uh, maybe in the coming months or years, we do a little update on where you're at and where the program is. Oh yeah, that'd be great. And you know, I do want to I do want to invite your listeners to to find out more about the the online course that I'm that I'm working with right now. I actually I would love to give the course away free to one lucky listener. Yeah, let's put um, some together. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I the course is called Find Your Seat. It's a how-to guide for improving writing. And like I said, this is just a way for you to learn about all of these techniques and start to implement them over you know, winter or maybe a period of time where you can't quite get as much writing in as you'd like to. So everybody listening, go do your homework on the program. Alicia and I will be in contact and we'll figure out some kind of giveaway for this. And and she's been kind enough to to give away Find Your Seat for free to one lucky listener. Yep. Thank you. Well, Alicia, again, I thank you for everything and, and we'll be talking to you down the road. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Jason. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.